Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church. An outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, it's a very short epistle and compared to many of the other epistles. Verse 1, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, the James he's talking about there is one of Jesus' brothers, according to the flesh. Jude and James were both sons of Mary, Mary and Joseph, all right? So, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ... And brother of James. He didn't say a brother of Jesus. Even though they were brothers according to the flesh, he recognized that Jesus is more than just his brother according to the flesh. He is the son of the living God. He is the Christ. He is Lord of lords. He is king of kings. So he says, I'm a servant of Jesus and brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Notice that, sanctified. He starts right off mentioning the word sanctified. Sanctified, what does that word mean? It means to separate from profane things and dedicated to God. Separate from profane things And dedicated to God. Free from the guilt of sin. Free from the guilt of sin. To clean externally. To clean externally. Externally. And to purify internally. By renewing the soul. So it cleans you up externally. Being sanctified is being cleaned up externally and also purified internally. Isn't that powerful? It's not just about what's going on the outside, but it's it's what's going on on the inside of you that is important. So many people just judge themselves based on what's going on outwardly. And really, if you focus a lot on your flesh, you're not going to have a whole lot of confidence in yourself. Uh, You know, because there's a lot of fault to find in the flesh. The flesh is very imperfect. But we want to focus more on the spirit. That doesn't mean we neglect the physical. We've got to take care of the physical. That's a part of being sanctified. Part of being sanctified is taking care of yourself physically. To neglect your body is not spiritual. To not shower and eat right and and just all those things to neglect those things is not spiritual god cares about you physically he cares about your outward life your external self he cares about those things very important how you take care of your house are you cleaning it are you keeping it nice your car is it full of all kinds of things you know like mcdonald's boxes and everything from last year Shouldn't be. That's not living a sanctified life. As we, sanct- as we sanctify ourselves, we're going to get things cleaned up externally 
outwardly. We're going to take care of our natural self because it's important to God. So therefore, it should be important to us. But it doesn't stop there. We also are concerned about our hearts, our soul. We're concerned about the inward part of us, our thought life, how we think, how we believe. And we want to make sure we're believing right, that we're in faith, that there isn't sin that we're holding on to in our heart. There isn't unforgiveness and bitterness or unclean things that we're, that we're holding on to or that we're walking in, in life. No, 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 no. We want to be clean inside and out. And that's a part of being sanctified. And that's a big part of being victorious in these last days. That's a big part of overcoming the world, overcoming the weapons of the devil. Why? Because the devil, many times in Scripture, is referred to as an unclean spirit. He's dirty. He is not clean. And so to overcome him is to be clean. Clean inside and clean out. That's how we overcome the devil. Living a sanctified life. A life that is set apart from profanity. Separate from profane things. Say we're separate from, if it's profane, if it's vile, if it's unclean, if it's immoral, impure, we're set apart from that. We're set, and that's safe. That's living in a safe place. But to just be involved in things that are profane, things that are vile, things that are unclean, things that are contrary to Jesus, that's not living a sanctified life, and that's making you more vulnerable to the adversary, to the devil. And we don't want to make ourselves more vulnerable to him. We want to keep ourselves safe and secure, living a sanctified life. Praise God. And of course, Jude has a lot to say about that. So he starts right off in the first verse talking about being sanctified. Being sanctified. We need to love sanctification. Love sanctification. Love the clean life and hate things that are dirty. Hate things that are immoral and impure and and vile. I mean, the world is so vile, so dirty. I mean, these things should bother us. We should not want to be a part or partakers of these things. Because we have a heart after God. We love living a sanctified, clean life. A holy life. A holy life. Yielding to the Holy Spirit. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Notice. Mercy, peace, love be multiplied to you. How's it going to be multiplied to you? Through this epistle. Through the word of God. That's one of the ways that his mercy, God's mercy, his peace, and his love is going to be multiplied in your life. So he's letting us know this is the purpose of my letter. The purpose of my letter is mercy, not judgment. He gets into talking about judgment. But the purpose is mercy. Peace, not fear. Now, there's a healthy fear of God, and he does get into that. But his goal is not to make you afraid, 
to make you afraid of going to hell. His goal is to bring peace into your soul. And then he says, love. Love be multiplied. In other words, in this epistle, we need to see the love of God. We need to see the love of God. Not wrath. He talks about wrath. But that's the, the focus here is love. That's what he wants us to experience as a result of getting in to this letter. Mercy, peace, and love. That's what's growing in us tonight. That's what we're expecting to grow in us tonight. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Notice he says he is exhorting us to contend for the faith. That word contend means to struggle, to battle, to fight, to fight for the faith that was given to us. The Amplified Bible says it this way. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you because of our common salvation, I was compelled to write to you urgently appealing that you fight strenuously for the defense of the faith. Fight for the faith, for the defense of the faith. We have to defend the faith that has been given to us. I mean, faith is so precious. The Holy Spirit, he's referred to as, in 2 Corinthians 4.13, as the spirit of Faith. Faith comes from God. Faith is God. Faith is the victory over the world. Man, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's, it's impossible to have victories in life. We need faith. And so God has given us his word and he has imparted to us his faith, the spirit of faith. And now he's saying, fight for it. Fight to defend it. Protect it. Guard it. Lest you what? Lest you lose it. You have to defend it because you could lose it. And we don't want to lose our faith. We have to contend for it. And the first place we contend for the faith is in prayer with God. Contending with him over his word, over his promises. That God will bring his word to pass. God, you said this. This is what the Bible says. And we put him in remembrance of the scriptures. We declare the word of God and we expect to see that word come to pass in our life. I mean, when we go into prayer, a lot of time uh, in prayer should be spent declaring what he said. Not just saying what we feel and sharing our opinions. Yet God wants to hear from him. We need to communicate with him and talk to him. And it's okay to share your feelings and all those things. That's important. It's a relationship with God. But one of the most important things that need to be coming out of your mouth in prayer is God's word. God's word. We got to contend for the faith, for the word of faith, for the promises of God. Over in Isaiah, Chapter 43, verse 26. 
It says, put me in remembrance. This is the Lord talking. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. There's that word contend. Contend earnestly for the faith. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. God's saying state your case. Speak the word. Because that's, that's our case. We build our case before God on his word. We come and we say, it is written. It is written. This is what you said, Lord. It is written. And we contend with God in prayer over his promises. To see to it they come to pass. That keeps your faith active. That keeps your faith working. Working the word. Bringing the word before God and expecting it to come to pass. Declaring it. That's working, that's working your faith, which is what's going to strengthen your faith, develop your faith, and thus protect your faith from being weak and being stolen. And then secondly, we need to contend, not just with God in prayer, but contend with demons, contend with the devil. The Bible says in uh, Ephesians, I think it's chapter 6, it says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice that. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with what? We come against. We come against principalities and powers. We struggle. We struggle with these wicked, evil demons. Why? Because there's a fight. There's a fight going on. And what's that fight? It's the fight of faith. Where we're speaking the word of God and the devil, he's trying to keep the word of God from coming to pass. In fact, I, I looked up wrestle right there from Ephesians chapter 6 in the original language. And it says this. It's, it's interesting in, in the uh, concordance there. It says uh, struggle, struggle, which is also the definition or the meaning of contend, to struggle. So we're struggling not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. All right, with these evil spirits. A contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other. And which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. Man, I like that. I mean, we come against that devil... Now, he's going to try to put up a resistance. He's going to try to put up all kinds of facades and try to make it look like God isn't listening. God's inactive. God's not doing anything. God's not hearing you. God's not, word is not coming to pass. And so the devil's going to try to put up all kinds of resistance, try to create all kinds of lying symptoms and worries, lying signs, lying wonders, that are the exact opposite of the way God said it would be. And so he's going to come against you. But bless God, we're going to come against him speaking the word of God. Speaking the word of God. Speaking the word of God. Speaking, releasing our faith. Using our faith. And as the enemy tries to undermine our faith, we're just going to keep declaring our faith. And guess who's going to win? We are. If you don't grow weary in well-doing, you will reap. That's what the Bible says. You will reap if you don't lose heart. You'll reap the harvest of God's promises. 
You'll reap the harvest, harvest of what you've been praying about, what you've been declaring concerning the word of God. Your faith will manifest the results of what you are declaring. Your faith will manifest. It will come to pass. But many times the enemy will try to put up resistance. But you just continue to fight until, forget about getting your hand down on his neck. You put your foot under his neck, right? The Bible says, that devil is under our feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's how I entered the battle with the devil. I entered the battle with, no, you're under my feet. I, I just put him under my feet. He says, no, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm on your neck. I'm over your life. I'm in these people that are going to oppress your life. You're under my feet. You're under my feet. Jesus defeated you. He disarmed you. See, my faith is going to hold him in his proper place. Under my feet. And you stay there long enough and you'll see the victory. You will see the victory manifest in your life. But there's a contending. And a lot of times, Christians don't even engage the devil in their struggles. All these problems arise in their life. They might, eat, they might pray. But then they don't deal with the devil. They don't put him in his place. And they just many times just think about the flesh and blood aspects. They just think about the outward conditions of things. And they're not really taking seriously the real enemy that's causing all the problems, that's inspiring a lot of the trouble, a lot of the things that they're facing. We have to deal with the devil. We have to contend Contend with the devil for the faith. And then we have to contend with the wicked. Because we live in a society full of wicked people. That they don't want anything to do with God. And they resist God. And they're contrary to God. And we can't just take a back seat and let them come out of the closet. And do all their perverse things. And get out there and speak all these things that are contrary to what we know to be right and good. And just sit here and be silent. Well, you know, we don't want to cause any disturbances. Who said? Who said? we got to be contenders for the faith. we got to rise up and defend the faith. Not only in our own life, but in our, in our city. In the, in the world around us, in our, in our country. We have to stand up for the faith. We can't sit here and just be silent. We cannot be silent anymore. We have to rise up. Because if we remain silent, not only will faith erode in the world around us, in our city, our state, in our nation. But if it erodes all around us, is a good chance... It'll erode in your life personally. Because if you're not standing up for it, then you're probably losing it. So we need to fight. We need to rise up and fight and contend with the wicked. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked. That's interesting. But such as keep the law Contend with them. Contend with what? Contend with those that forsake the law, those that praise the wicked because they're wicked. If you forsake the law, you're wicked. If you forsake God's way of thinking, God's way of doing things, then, then all you have is wickedness. 
And uh, it's interesting, you know, because there's folks that might seem Christian-like. They might, they might seem very godly, but then they praise the wicked. They, they approve of the, the, what the wicked is approving of. They applaud when wicked men, wicked people, do wicked things. And they are partakers of that. They, they praise it. They applaud it. Well, guess what? That tells me something about them. They have forsaken the law. What do you mean? They have forsaken God's word. They have forsaken God's word. Because if you're holding God's word up and you're living a sanctified life and you're building your life around this book, then you're going to dislike anything, anyone that is contrary to it, that is living contrary to the word of God. Oh, no, we need to love everybody. I didn't, I, I'm not, what, I said dislike. Oh, but we need to like everybody. That's not the Bible. That is not the Bible. The Bible doesn't say we have to like everybody. That is not true. We have to be, we have to be honest about things, and we're going to get a little bit more into that as we, as we continue in this, you know, as we continue on here in the book of Jude. We'll see some of those things a little bit clearer. But we're not praising the wicked. We denounce things that the wicked are doing. We're not partakers of that. And we contend with those that praise the wicked, praise wicked things. We contend. We don't just stand and smile. We don't just go along with it. We don't just accept it. Well, we don't want to offend anybody. You know, Jesus said, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Because he knew most of what he did was very offensive to a lot of people. But blessed is he who's not offended because of me. You got to do what you got to do. And you've got to fight for the faith. You have to stand up for the faith. In fact, contend here in the Hebrew language, here in Proverbs chapter 28, it means to stir up, to excite oneself against. Sometimes you got to get yourself excited to come against. Come against what? Come against those that forsake the law, those that come against the word of God. They come against the word of God, I'm coming against them. Well, that sounds very confrontational. Yeah, that's what, that's what contending is. You're going to be confrontational. It also means to wage war, to contend, to wage war. Wage war with those who forsake the law. Conflict, dispute, debate, argue. And a conflict is a clash of interests to oppose. So we need to, to rise up and clash with the unclean. To clash with that which is contrary to Christ. Clash with it. He didn't say go hide. We got to rise up and fight. Fight. Because that's what a fight is, right? It's a battle. It's a clash. It's an opposing. It's a coming against. It's waging a war. Come on. This is a great. You got to stir yourself up. Excite yourself to go into battle and to go against the adversaries. Go against the adversaries of God. The adversaries of the word of God. We've got to advance this gospel. We're not going to do it. Being passive and not wanting to be confrontational. That's not earnestly contending 
for the faith if you're not being confrontational. So Christians need to be confrontational. We got to get aggressive with being confrontational. We also need to contend with the lost. With the lost. See, there's the wicked that are actually coming against the word of God, coming against the law. And then there's those that are just lost. They, they, don't, they're not, they don't have an agenda to destroy God's word. They might even have some reverence about them. I mean, I know for me, when I, was gro- I grew up lost, I didn't know the Lord. And my parents didn't know the Lord, lo- the Lord. But at the same time, I mean, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't curse and use foul language. And I was, I, was, I was a fairly nice guy, you know. I was a nice guy. I wasn't saved, though. I wasn't coming against God and coming against his word and being obnoxious towards church and church people and things like that, like you see a lot of today. I mean, I, I respected those things. I, I was just lost. Well, we need to contend with the lost. We need to contend with them. The Bible says over in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, but Saul increased all the more, after he got saved, he increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Notice, he got stronger and stronger. How did he get so bold? How did he get so strong? Because he was out proving to the lost that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the way, the truth, or the life, and nobody gets to heaven, nobody gets to see the Father except through him. We need to rise up. There's a lot going on out there in the world in the name of Christianity that says, you know, ultimately God loves everybody and everybody's going to make their way to heaven and God loves the Muslim and the Buddhist and you know, he just accepts people for where they're at. That's not the Bible. He loves them, but they've got to get saved. And the way they get saved is they come to Jesus and they recognize that he's the only way. He's the truth and the light because nobody else died for their crimes that they've committed against God. And everybody's committed those crimes. Everybody has broken God's commandments except Jesus. And he came and became a sacrifice for us so that we all could have eternal life. He's paid the way. He's paved the way for us to heaven. He's the way. People need to be told this. You'd be amazed how many people that I've come across that talk Christian talk, go to church. They go to their denomination, Baptist church, or whatever church it might be. And, uh, you know, you'd think, oh, they're saved. But then I've asked them, I've said, well, now, where do you think you're at with your relationship with God? I don't just accept the fact, well, they go to church, so they must be saved. And I've, like I said, it's, it's been amazing to me how many people you would think at face value, they know the Lord, they're saved. And then just asking them a few questions, you realize they're lost. They're lo- they are not trusting in Jesus. They know about Jesus. They've been churched, and they know a lot of the church lingo. But they're not saved. They're not trusting in him and only in him for eternal life. 
And they don't even really fully understand him and why he even came. It's amazing. And I've led a lot of people to the Lord that you would have thought already knew the Lord because they were church people. So we have to engage them. We have to contend with the lost, just like the Apostle Paul did. And again, when we do that, what happens? Just like Paul, we are strengthened. We increase all the more in strength. And the strength that it's talking about is spiritual strength. And your spiritual strength is your faith. You don't have any more spiritual strength than you have faith. Your faith is your spiritual strength. So that's how we contend for the faith. We exercise it. We contend with God concerning the word of faith. We contend with the devil. We use our authority. We speak the word of faith. And use our authority over evil spirits. We contend with the wicked. We're not going to allow them to just trample all over the word of God and all over Christianity. We're going to stand up and we're going to speak up. And we're going to oppose it. And we're also going to contend with the lost. We're not just going to allow them to be lost or just assume everything's okay. We're going to engage them. We're going to confront them. We're going to clash with them. We can't be afraid to clash. Clash with the lost. Clash with the wicked. Got to get ourselves stirred up. Stir ourselves up concerning these things. And then finally, we need to contend with false teachers. False teachers. Now we're talking about in the church. Coming on over to the church. And that's the next verse here in verse 4 of Jude. He says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that. He says, first he says, we must contend for the faith in verse 3. And then he says, because there's certain folks that have crept in. They've crept in and they've turned the grace of our God into lewdness. One, one translation says lewdness. Another translation says licentiousness. My new King James Bible says licentiousness. But there are King James Bibles that actually say lewdness. And what that is, is licentiousness is a disregarding, a disregarding accepted rules. They disregard rules. They disregard, again, God's law. They disregard the traditional way of, of doing things as taught in the Word of God and handed down from generation to generation. They disregard those things. And, and notice, it says they turn the grace of God into licentiousness, see? Because what is the grace of God? The grace of God is the unearned favor and glory of God upon a person's life. It's the unearned. It's unearned. In other words, all your works, you're your obeying the law, you're following the command, is not what earns you this favor, this glory of God. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Well, then there's folks that get over into a ditch because of that. And they say, well, see, everything's free. Everything's free. And so the commandments don't matter. 
living a morally pure life doesn't matter. Disciplining yourself, having self-control, it doesn't matter. Because these things don't save you. God's salvation is a free gift. Yes, that's true. But if you receive the grace of God into your life and you embrace it and walk in it by faith, then it is affecting everything you do in life. You can't continue in immorality. You can't continue in things that are unclean and impure and be walking by faith in the grace of God. If you have received the favor, if you've received his goodness and awesomeness upon your life, then in order to walk in that, you're going to walk holy, even as he's holy. You're going to live a disciplined, self-controlled life. You're going to live a life that's pleasing to him. Because he's there. He's there. You believe that he's there. He's in your life. He's come into your life free of charge. And now what are you going to do? You're going to be dirty. You're going to be vile. You're going to watch unclean things, do perverted things, say obscene things in his presence. That's not going to go over very good. Why would you want to invite God into your home and then offend him? That's a dangerous thing. So that's why faith without works is dead. All right? So we have works that are the result of our faith. We believe and therefore we speak a certain way. We walk a certain way. We walk holy even as he is holy. Because we believe he's here. We're in faith concerning his grace. We are purifying ourselves. We're cleaning ourselves up because God is here. And we want everything squeaky clean because we don't want to offend him. And if we've received his grace, we've received his love. And if we've received his love, then the response is going to be love for him. You're going to want to love him, please him, and serve him. And do things his way. That's just the natural response to receiving by faith the grace of God. You're not looking for an excuse to live a fleshy, carnal life and just say, well, none of that really matters because God loves me the way I am. You see, this is what, this is what Jude is dealing with here. Because he's dealing with people that are headed towards the great tribulation that are headed towards end-time events, intense times, perilous times. And we can't be licentiousness and undisciplined and think we're going to make it through successfully in these last days. If we're going to make it, it's because we're living a disciplined, holy life, walking in the grace of God, the favor and glory of God. Can you say amen? It's time for you to say amen. Praise God. You've just been sitting there taking it all in, but you need to say something. Praise God. Just say amen. Hallelujah. Praise God forever. Verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this. That's interesting. I want to remind you, though you once knew this. You know, just because you knew something doesn't mean you know it. Just because you had something doesn't mean you have it. Say, we could, we could lose the faith. We can lose the things that God has given to us. You know, God can give revelation to us, reveal things to us. It could just be so real to us. 
We get around church. We get around the things of God. We're just excited. We're fired up. We want to serve Jesus. We just love God, love the pastor, love one another. Man, we're just fired up. And then next thing you know, we got a problem with this person, a problem with that person. I'm really tired, and I don't really don't get much out of church anymore. And actually, you know that pastor. What happened? See, just because you had it, that don't mean you're always going to have it. you got to protect it. It's precious. And the devil is working day and night to steal it. He's looking. The world is looking. The condition of the world around you is ever working to rob you of your faith. And it's just so sad. Over the years, you see these Christians, they're just so fired up and just full of love. And they're so grateful, so grateful, so grateful to God. So grateful for God's church, his word, his people. Just so grateful, so grateful. And then it goes from being so, so grateful and overflowing with thanksgiving and love to overflowing with griping and complaining and despising the very things they once loved. What happened? And they think everything else changed around. They think everybody changed. No, you changed. You lost the faith. You lost the faith. And you know, that's a big thing. People have to recognize when they're losing their spiritual strength, when they're losing their love for God, and they're just becoming religious, and they're just slipping into a form of godliness, and losing that power of God. you got to be able to recognize it. You know, you got to be able to pick that off immediately. You know, it's like I, I don't wait around until I'm sitting there just sick with some kind of flu symptoms and all that. I'm just sick and vomiting before I take authority over infirmity. I mean, I just feel something touch me in the throat and I go, in Jesus' name, Christ redeemed me from the curse of the Lord. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm yoked to Jesus. I won't be yoked to a devil. I mean, I, you got to jump right on it. Uh, it really, I was, I was just, maybe it's just a little something. No. A little something turns into a big something if you don't do something about it. You got to be able to pick it off before it becomes a full-blown problem. You got to be able to recognize when you're being deceived. Right away. Wait, whoa, whoa. Wait, you know, you got to examine yourself as whether you're in, you're in the faith or not. The Bible says you got you to examine yourself. You need to do a, a faith checkup regularly. And look, recognize, go, I, I, I'm not really excited about the word tonight. Man, that's inexcusable. People, I've had people look at me and go, I, I, just, I just don't get anything out of it anymore. As, as though it's something wrong with the teacher. I'm still getting stuff out of it. I mean, I'm excited about what I'm preaching tonight. See? Well, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's kind of getting old. I'm, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for something exciting. Now, let me, let me remind you. See, what, what, is, what does he say here? He says, I want to remind you, though you once knew this. See, you need to be reminded. And, and really, if the word of God is living in you, it never gets old. I mean, I'll, I, the, more, the more it's alive in you, the more, it, the more you're in faith concerning that verse of Scripture, that promise of God, the more it excites you when you hear about it. Because that's what your heart is engaged in. Your heart is excited about it. Your heart is connected to that. You hear it. Yeah, that's right. I believe that. It just stirs you up. 
And when it ain't doing anything for you anymore and you think it's the way the teacher's teaching, and it's, you got to recognize you're slipping. You're a slipping saint. And you got to rise up and you got to fight to save your faith, contend for it. And one of the ways you rise up to save your faith is you fall down on your face and you say, Lord, forgive me for pride. Forgive me for allowing the world to come in and dull me and cause me to be insensitive to you. It isn't the pastor's problem. It isn't, it isn't, it's me. It's me. I repent, Lord. In Jesus' name, forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me. Help me to get back on track. I got to be ready for whatever might be coming in these last days, Lord. I want to walk pleasing to you. Help me to walk close to you. You are my protection. You're my safety. Strengthen me, God, in my inner man. Help me. And he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. Hallelujah. And stir yourself up. Say, yeah, praise God. Let me look a little deeper into that. Now, say that again, pastor. The flesh says, I already know that. Oh, you be quiet, flesh. Say it again. I need to hear it again. No, say it again. Let me look at that again. You got to watch, too, that when this service is over, the word isn't over. This word isn't over. Study these things out. Go deeper into it. This is what the Spirit of God is leading us to get into right now. Well, get into it without me. Go take it to the next level. Take it into prayer. Tomorrow morning when you pray, if you pray in the morning, get up and say, glory to God, let's read the book of Jude. Now, I just, he just did that last night. Get in there right now. Bring these things to your remembrance, what you heard. Study, study. Get in there, study it. And let, let's get rooted and grounded in it. People should be talking about it. You know, when this service ends, if you have someone to talk to, talk to them. Maybe call somebody and say, hey, did you get that tonight? Did you hear that? You know what the part that really spoke to me? Really? What spoke to you? Yeah, let me tell you. And, and he started talking to each other. And he started talking to you on the phone. Just, you know, hey, just want to have a quick, quick little conversation here. You know, I just can't keep it in. I have to share it. Make yourself excited. Don't let your flesh sit down on your spirit. All right? Because your flesh sits down on your spirit, the devil's going to get on top of your flesh. And you're just going to be crushed. Crushed. Your faith will be crushed. And, and don't allow that to happen. I'm, I'm urging you to earnestly contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Or say, I'm not going to lose this faith. I'm not going to lose my joy in the Word of God. I'm not going to lose my love for the Word of God in Jesus' name. Praise God, we're not going to lose it. We're going to grow in it. We're going to grow in it. So notice he goes on. But I want you, verse 5, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. What's he talking about? He's talking about losing your faith. Even the very faith, faith that saves you, that got you born again. Here's another lie of the enemy that Jude just deals with. And again, it's all part of the grace deception. The grace that's turned into licentiousness that he was just talking about in verse 4. There's this teaching that says, once saved, always saved. Once you confess Jesus as Lord, that's it. You're locked in. You're saved. Again, it doesn't matter how you live. Doesn't matter. doesn't matter. You don't have to earnestly contend for the faith because you got saved. This is a great deception that causes people... To be very passive concerning their faith. Because, hey, I'm locked in. I'm safe. There's people that are living in gross sin. Gross sin. They were, they were very involved in church and ministry, but then they backslid. They fell into gross sin. And 
they think they're just fine because it's all by grace. You know, I'm saved because of grace. It has nothing to do with the way I'm living. Faith without works is dead. Your faith is dead. If your faith is dead, your spirit is dead. You're lost. You're deceived and you're in big trouble. But you don't even know it because you think you confessed Jesus as Lord and that's all you had to do. When he very clearly says in the gospel, Jesus said, he said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? Lord, did we not, you know, teach your word? Lord, did we not? He say, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So you can't live a lawless life and say, I know the Lord. You're deceived. You don't know the Lord because if you knew the Lord and you were living by faith in the grace of God, then you would be living a holy, sanctified, godly life. You'd be always reaching for a more cleaner, pure life. That's what you'd be reaching for. If you're not reaching for that, then you're all wrong. See, you're lost. And I know I'm not talking to anybody out there necessarily, but we do have to be aware of these things. We have to keep our, we have to guard ourselves. I ain't going to go to hell. I got saved. I'm going to stay in the sal- this salvation. This salvation was delivered to me and I'm going to hang on to it. That's what he says right here. He says, you know, let me remind you that uh, the Lord having saved the people. Everybody say saved. Saved the people out of the land of Egypt, which is a type of coming out of the world. Being born again. Afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. So they were saved and then they were destroyed. Destroyed. Not just killed. Destroyed. When the Bible talks about destruction. Remember the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Once you're killed, is there anything else? Yeah, the destruction of your entire spirit. Your entire being in hell. So killing is just the body. Destruction is your spirit, your soul. See, So... He says, they got saved, but then afterwards were destroyed. We need to get a hold of that. And then he goes on in verse 7, verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. He's saying, hey, listen. He saved the children of Israel out of Egypt, but then he destroyed them. They were destroyed. In the wilderness. And uh, remember the angels? Could, could anyone be more holier than the angels? I mean, these angels, I mean, they worshiped God. They, they served God. And who knows for how long, right? From eternity past. But what happens when they sinned and rebelled? They were chained in, a, in darkness. And they were placed on death row until the day that they're destroyed in the lake of fire. I mean, if the angels can lose their salvation, can lose their connection to God, that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, let me remind you of this, guys. Lest you're thinking about living a licentious life. Lest you're you're thinking about living an unsanctified life. Now, again, this might sound harsh. This might sound mean. This might sound... No, what's the purpose of this letter? Mercy, peace... And love. Say that. Mercy, peace, and love. That's the purpose. It's to get you over into the mercy, peace, and love of God. This is a love thing. This is a love thing. Verse 7. 
as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They're, the Bible saying they're, they're an example for us, for the church. This is why it's in the Bible, because Christians read the Bible, not the wicked. It's an example for us to say, listen, these people gave, them over to sexual, gave themselves over to sexual immorality, and, and what happened? They were judged. And now what? They're going to experience the vengeance of eternal fire. It's talking about hell. And really, I think, fleshy sexual behavior is probably the number one thing that has caused a lot of Christians who are born again to go to hell, to lose their faith, to lose their salvation, to turn away from God. I think it's one of the big ones. You know, you see examples of even King David. I mean, he did repent and he did get things right, but that was the one thing that took him down and really messed his life up. And we think of someone like Samson. Who is more powerful than Samson? I mean, what an anointing on Samson's life, right? But where was his weakness? Sexual immorality. Sexual behavior. We've got to protect ourselves from these things. We're living in an exceedingly sexually perverse society. That's the world that's around us right now. I mean, it's entertainment. Dirty things are entertainment. It's the norm. Not for you and I. Not for you and I. That's not normal for us. We run from that stuff. We flee from those things. We're not going to be involved in perverse sexual behavior in, in, in any way. We're not watching it. We're not, look, we, we don't delight in it. We don't want anything to do it. We run from that. Why? Because it destroys your soul. It destroys your soul. It dulls you to the Spirit of God. Probably one of the things that dull people the most. Just, just sears them. Sears their conscience. And people stop making excuses for keeping things in their life that are perverse. And as a result of that, their spirits get all twisted. The Bible says that perverseness in your mouth will break your spirit. So you start uttering some dirty, perverse thing, and it breaks your spirit down, weakens your spirit. So we have to protect ourselves from these things. Verse 8, he goes on. He says, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh. King James says filthy dreamers. These filthy dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Filthy dreamers. Well, I looked that up in the original Greek language, and it means to, it means to be beguiled with sensual images and carried away to an impious or irreverent course of conduct. Notice that. To be beguiled with sensual images. I mean, does that not speak to this generation? I mean, when this was written, there was no internet. There was no television. There was none of all this. There wasn't all this media. And yet, that's actually what he means. He talks about these dreamers. He's talking about the imagination. And images. These images. Beguiled with sensual images. And then as a result of that, they're carried away 
to an irreverent course of conduct. And you see, we're living in, a, in a, again, a generation that's not only very sexually perverse, but very disrespectful, very irreverent. There's no reverence. And in much of the church world today, sadly to say, there is a huge lack of reverence for the things of God. We got to watch. We don't fall into that. Why? Because all those things are taking your faith from you. And without faith, there's no heaven. Without faith, there's no victory over the devil. There's no victory in the last days. We need to hang on to our faith. Put your faith above fleshy things. Don't let fleshy things be priority and dominate you so that you're not protecting your faith. You've got to guard your faith. Can you say amen? Hallelujah! Praise God forever. God is good, isn't he? That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.